This is a Saddleback Church podcast. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Ben! Ben! He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. We've been looking at this parable, it's called the parable often known as the parable of the prodigal son. And that would actually be a misnomer for us to call it that because the word prodigal means lavish or abundant. It means almost wasteful. And when we look at the story, the son wastes the father's inheritance in the first part of the story. And at the same time, the father is lavish in his love towards the son. So really, the story is not just about the younger son and his prodigal wastefulness of his inheritance, but the story is about three people. It's about the two sons and the father. And we've been journeying together. We're looking at pictures of the father and the son. Last week, Stacy looked at the younger son. Today, we're going to look at the father, and then next week, we'll come to the older son. And next week when we get to the older son, I'll talk a little bit more about the fact that I am the oldest son in my family, and I like the part of Jewish culture where the oldest son would get more of the inheritance from the family. Like that's, I like that, I resonate with that. And I I also resonate in this story with the glimpse of the father's heart. And so now I've been a dad for 17 years, my heart has grown in 17 years as a father, and I want you to See, I have two sons. I want you to see this picture of them most recently. They're both in high school now, and they're both bigger than me. They're stronger than me, but they are not wiser than me. And this is, this is one claim. I'm, I'm going to try to hold on to my gra- until I go to my grave, like I've got more wisdom than you. But they're stronger than me, and they actually uh, both play football. Cademan, our oldest, is on varsity. Sammy's on freshman. The Tribuco Heels Mustangs are 3-0 and right now, and I just want to say that. Um, I'm learning a new discipline on Friday nights that's controlling my voice to be prepared to preach on Sunday. I just have had to learn. I screamed at the last couple of games so you can hear that hoarseness. I also don't want you to miss out on my daughter and she, she is so cute. And she um, said to me, this is the kind of conversations dad have with, da- have with daughters is she said, dad, um, have you thought about doing something about your cuticles? They, they, just, they look, so that's father-daughter relationship. But in this, 
in this story, we see the father-son relationship, but it's set in the backdrop of Luke chapter 15, where Jesus is spending time with tax collectors and sinners. And I want you to notice, uh, Stacy talked about this last week, but I want to bring our attention back to it. In Luke 15, verse 1, it says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. I want us to notice that Jesus, he spent time with people whose lives were broken. People who were nothing like Jesus liked being with Jesus. They were drawn to him. And there was something about his love and his compassion, something about the way that he displayed the heart of God to humanity that people wanted to be with him. And the religious leaders were so frustrated by this. Of course, there's a lot of jealousy and even some insecurity, but they did not like the fact that Jesus was, was with broken people. And Jesus launches into three parables. So he gives the parable of the lost coin. And he talks about a woman who has 10 coins and she loses one. Apparently that coin did not have an air tag on it, so she could not find it. And Jesus tells this story to help us understand the urgency of this woman to find her lost coin. And then he goes into a shepherd and he says, a shepherd had 100 sheep with one lost sheep and he went after that lost sheep. And when he brought it home, there was great celebration. He talks about how in heaven there's rejoicing over one person that comes back to God. And then Jesus launches into this story and again, this story is about a father with two sons. He starts in verse 11, he says, to illustrate the point, Jesus told them there was a father who had two sons. And last week, Stacy so beautifully described the younger son who goes off and squanders the family's wealth and then returns home to the father. In verse 20, as he's coming home, it says he returned home to the father and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming home. He was filled with love and compassion and he ran to his son and embraced him. And we see the father's heart just beating with compassion for this lost son to come home. But there's another son who's lost, an older son. And we see in verse 28, the older brother, the older son, was angry with the father's lavish love towards the younger son. In fact, he didn't want to go to the party that the father was throwing for the younger son. And yet notice in verse 31 and 32, it says the father goes out. He said to the older son, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me, you've been with me, and everything I have belongs to you. And we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead, and he's come back to life. He's lost, and now he's found. And notice how the father goes out to both sons. Both sons were lost equally. The younger son was lost as he had squandered the wealth. The older son was lost in the father's house, and his whole life he had been slaving, not living as a son to the father. And Jesus gives us this beautiful picture of the Father's heart. Now, Stacy originally was supposed to give this message, and I was supposed to give the message last week. And we actually swapped some things around. There was this one morning a couple weeks ago as I'm preparing to preach, Stacy rudely interrupts and comes into my office at work and just, you know, just no sense of my door being closed and just <laughs> disregarding me being with God and comes in and says, Andy, I'm, I'm just, I, I don't know how I'm gonna come and preach a, a, about the father after you talk about the younger son and you unpack all, there's no way to talk about the younger son without talking about the father and his heart. 
And I was like, oh, that'll be easy. Don't worry about it. I mean, I'll say everything awesome about the father and with the younger son, and then you'll come next week and fill in the gaps. It'll be fine. Until it switched, and I realized it's not fine. It's hard. So I'm just going to press play on her message from last week, and you guys can hear it again. Just kidding. I want to actually take a different view. And what I want to do is I want to zoom out a bit. And I want, to, I want to look at this overarching concept or theme from the life of Jesus as God the Father was being revealed through him. Now, Jesus, what he did was he came and he opened the door to the Father. And he did this in several ways. The first way he did this was by how he taught or by the way he taught. Now, if you go to the Old Testament, you actually look at the Old Testament, the concept of God being a father shows up 15 times in the Old Testament. And every time the Bible in the Old Testament would refer to God as father, it's in the context of the nation of Israel. So it's this national concept that God is the father of Israel. But when Jesus comes, get this, 165 times in the Gospels, Jesus refers to God as father. And he speaks individually. In fact, even the Lord's Prayer, he says, when you pray, you pray to him as our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus was revealing to us the Father's heart, and he was doing this by the way that he taught. Over and over and over again, Jesus, being God in human flesh, taught us about relationship with God the Father. I love J.I. Packer in this famous book, phenomenal book. If you've never read it, you should. And he says this, he says, everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God the Father. Now, I want you to consider this. Every world religion that talks about God, there is no world religion aside from Christianity that communicates the fatherhood that God wants to have with us as children. And there's something so beautiful and distinctive about the message of Jesus. Jesus opened the door to the Father by the, the way he taught. Now, he also did this by the way that he lived. And we see in Jesus over and over again, modeling for us relationship with the Father. And when we look at the life of Jesus, we see him displaying the character and the nature of the Father. John, the early follower of Jesus, who spent a, a tremendous amount of time with Jesus, would say this about his character. From his abundance, speaking of Jesus, we have all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one, Jesus, who is God himself, is near to the Father's heart. He's near to the character, the nature of the Father in relationship with him. And he has revealed God to us. So if we want to know what the Father is like, we look at Jesus. We look at the way he lived, and we look at who he was when he was here on planet Earth and his character. Jesus opened the door to the Father by the things he taught and the way he lived. And I want to look at four particular habits from the life of Jesus. What Jesus did when he was here for 33 years that can influence how you and I cultivate relationship with the Heavenly Father. And I want to begin with this concept of investing time in relationship with the Father. 
I find it so fascinating how Jesus was constantly drawn to be with his father in solitude. There were these moments where Jesus would wake up early in the morning and the scripture says that his disciples often would wake up and they'd be confused and they're looking for Jesus, not able to find him anywhere and Jesus would be alone with his father. Mark 1, 35 says, he would rise very early in the morning while it was still dark and he departed and went out to a desolate place and there he prayed. And Jesus would pray and seek his father early in the morning he would also seek his father oftentimes at night. His disciples might be asleep or there was a moment when Jesus would go up on a mountainside and he would pray to his father, asking his father to give him the names of the disciples that he would invest in. He was so dialed in as he invested in that relationship that it existed for all eternity. And notice in Luke six twelve it says, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God, to his Father, he would pray to him. So Jesus, God in human flesh, cultivated his relationship with the Father by investing time in that relationship. And we all know this, in any relationship we have here on planet Earth, from a spouse to a kid to the people that we work with, the relationship grows over time as we spend time together. It's like a relationship has a compound interest effect to it. That the more I invest time in that relationship, the more that relationship will flourish. So little things like reading the Bible and praying. Over the course of time, if you do that every day, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, what you start to see is this longing for God that grows and is cultivated inside of your heart and that relationship grows over the course of time. Now for me, the way this has looked in my life for almost three decades, it's looked like a daily time with God where I open the Bible and I say, God, I, I wanna hear from you, I want you to speak, I wanna know you. It looks like for me times of walking in my neighborhood and just going on prayer walks, praying to God, seeking him. Perhaps if you live close by the Lake Forest campus, you may be walking down the street and wondering who is that weird guy with his arms lifted up. And you know, I think to myself, if you walk by your pastor and you, you notice he's praying with his arms lifted up, it's okay. Our, my therapist said to me one time, he said, uh, hey, there's somebody from your church who's coming like right after you. Would you like to get out of Dodge? And I'm like, no, I want people to know I need help. Like, I, it's okay. Your pastor goes to the therapist as well. And I just thought, you know, if you see me sometime, if, you, if they, somebody doesn't go to Saddleback, they might think I'm crazy. But you know, I'm just telling you, just in case you see me. Because sometimes I'll, I'll be walking down the street and I'll be telling myself, don't lift your hands and sing out loud. People's got their windows open. But then just sometimes I can't help myself. I'll be, I'll be walking down the road singing a song like, all my life you have been faithful. All my life. You've been so, so good. With every breath that I'm able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And when, you, when you're with him, I tell you, when you're, when you're with God, you want to be with him more. There's something about his presence. When you got anxiety, there's peace. When you have worry and fear, he brings you into comfort. Something about a strength that he gives as a father. And that time invested in the relationship, there's never a moment that you invest in relationship with God that is wasted time. He's changing you as you spend time together. There's something about being with people. You know, you, there are some people, right, you're with them, you don't wanna be with them anymore. 
But, but God is not like that. And with, when you're with him, you want to be with him more. And when you're with him, you, you change. You become a different person. Now, sometimes I wish that change was a whole lot faster than it is. But over time, you, you transform to become like him. The scripture says from one degree of glory to the next that when you're with God, you become more like him. And the things that God cares about, you start to care about when you spend time with him. You know, it's kind of like, you know, if you care about a sports team, you're with somebody, at some point, all of Saddleback will cheer for University of Michigan because I care about them. <laughs> There'll be fewer and fewer Ohio State fans in our church. I just, I can see that. But, but what happens is when somebody cares about something and you, you spend time with them, your heart changes. And I can look back over my life, I distinctively remember when God would start to put in my heart things that were in his heart. I, I used to have this little yellow legal pad by my bedside when I was in high school, and I would pull it out and I'd write down my prayers and journal, and I would write down specific names of people that I knew who did not know the heart of God. And I would contemplate eternity, and as the concept of eternity started settling in my heart and realizing that people would be eternally separated from God if they didn't know him, my heart was so burdened, so I'd write down Mark and Brian and Scott, and I'd just pray, and my call to ministry came out of that. Now, you, you may not have a list of 15 names, but we've been saying all year, what if we just all had one life that we were praying for to know God? One friend, one, one family member, one, one coworker, one neighbor that God would use your life to transform. And that's why we do church the way we do, is so that it, it, it's easier for you to bring that one friend with you. Next week is a great week to bring a friend. That's why we're giving these belong t-shirts away. And that's why we're having a huge party so that we can help everybody know that there's a place that they could belong in the house of God, the family of God. There's a way that they can come back to God. And your investment in one life has power. And as you're with God, your, your heart is growing to care about the things that he cares about. Now the other thing that we see in Jesus, not only did he invest time with the Father, but he listened to the Father's voice. So Jesus was so dialed in to what the Father would say. And you see in the Gospels the Father's voice being spoken over Jesus. I love in Luke chapter three, right before Jesus is about to begin his public ministry, it says one day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. Now his baptism was not for repentance because he never sinned. His baptism was out of obedience to the Father. And there's something so powerful about that moment of baptism. If you've never taken that step, I want to encourage you today, actually right after our service you can get baptized. There's something so beautiful about that acknowledgement in our lives of we're going to follow Jesus with our whole heart. Now as Jesus is being baptized, I want you to notice what happens. It says, as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And then in this moment, a voice from heaven. And I want you to underline that phrase that says, a voice from heaven. There's something so beautiful about the voice that comes from the Father. And it's going to speak, that voice is speaking over the Son. And he says this, these words are so precious and beautiful. He says, you are my dearly loved son, and you bring me great joy. And this is the Father's voice, that when the Father speaks, there's something individual. I want you to write this down. He speaks individually to his kids. 
He takes his eternal word and he applies it to our lives. He's a father that is able to speak directly into your life. He's able to give you words of wisdom. He's able to give you words of correction and affirmation. And he does it different ways. He does it with affirmation of his love. Notice how the father speaks over the son and says, this is my son. It's like the heavens cannot contain. His voice is coming through with such affirmation before the public ministry of Jesus. And the voice of the father is one that affirms us with his love. Now, we like that part, but there's another part. He also corrects with care. And he has a way of changing our behavior that the more we listen to his voice, he redirects us. He helps us take steps in the right direction. In Hebrews chapter 12, these few verses describe how he does this. It says, as we endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who's never disciplined by its father? Now, maybe you've had this moment before where you're with somebody else and their kids and their kids are acting out. And you're like, oh, I'm so glad they're not my kids right now. <laughs> I'm sure grandparents think that when they're in town with their kids. Uh, and sometimes aunts and uncles, you can give the kids back. You know, it's like they hang out, they go back. Or you spend time with somebody else's kids and you think, okay, I'm, that's not my kid. But my kid, I treat differently. I affirm my kids differently than I affirm another person's kids. And I also correct my kids the way I don't correct other people's kids. Like, I'm never going to walk up to your teenage son and take away his phone. But I have an extra phone right now, if you ever want to borrow it. <laughs> because I love my kids. Because I deeply care about them. I train them and I correct them. And that's what the Heavenly Father does. And he's always doing it for your good. Notice how it's described. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really his kids at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the training and discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, the best they knew how. But God's discipline, I want you to see this, but God's discipline is always good for us. So the longer I've followed Jesus, the more I've learned to hear the voice of the father the more I understand there's something so pure about the Father's voice. It's not mixed with any kind of false or ill intent. It's always for your good. So every time the Father will set a boundary in play in your life, his boundaries, you might want to write this down, his boundaries are always for your blessing. So with my kids, if my daughter, when she was like five, we used to have this gate, and I would say, don't go out of the gate. Why? because there are cars on the other side of that gate. And my boundary is because I love you and I care about you. So the Heavenly Father, all of his boundaries, all of the, the ways that God set into place are for human flourishing, to bless our lives. And as the Hebrew says, that, it's, that discipline sometimes is hard in the moment, verse 11, and not enjoyable, it's painful, but afterwards there's a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So I see myself as a kid who still needs a heavenly father to guide and direct his life. I realize there are, there's so much in me that is predisposed to go away from the ways of God. So consistently, I'm, I'm coming back, and I'll, I'll tell you how it works in my life. 
just to say to God, when I open the Bible, God, I need you to speak into my life. I need to hear your voice. I need your direction. I need your guidance. And it's not always a burning bush moment. Sometimes there's just something internal that God will deposit. I'll give you a couple examples. I was with a group of pastors a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we gathered together. They're all pastors leading churches, and the pastors are in a transitionary role from a founding or a long-term pastor. And so we're there to commiserate and encourage one another. And we had a mentor pastor who stepped up and was kind of walking us through kind of what does it look like when you're following a founding leader, a leader who's been there for a long time. He had been at his church now for 15 years, and he said, um, just anticipate it's going to take about five years. It's going to take about five years. I'm sitting there thinking, five, like Katie said in the service, it's like dog years coming in. You know, it just, you feel it. And so many great things have happened in a year, but I'm like, I came to be encouraged, not five years. That next morning, I had my journal open, and I was just reading through my notes, and I was asking God, I just said, God, speak to me. And I, I need you to help me process all of what we heard, and I, I believe what he was saying was, is right and true, but I also want to process it with your voice. And I felt like God was so clearly saying to me, Internally, not with an audible voice, but just with a whisper. The voice of the Father said, Andy, it's going to go great at Saddleback. Five years from now, it's going to be awesome. Lives are going to be changed. It's going to be flourishing. The question is whether or not you'll be healthy at the end of it. And that voice from my father was what I need. I, I knew it was his voice because it came with love and affirmation, but it came with, there, there's some things you need to shift. There's some things you need to change. I'll give you another example I had one night with one of my kids, and it was a rough end of the day. And I know this doesn't happen in your house, but it happens in mine. And it's like right before bed, and I go to bed, and I'm just feeling discouraged. And that discouragement moves into shame, and I'm laying there in my bed, just playing over in my mind all the, all the things that I am not in relationship to my kids. And that shame that I'm feeling, I'm, I'm laying there, and I, I just said, Father, I need you to speak to me on this shame. Because I don't want to go to, I don't want to finish my day like this. And what the father did was in my mind, he brought to mind the right things that I had done in relationship with this child. And just images in my mind. And then there was a word, and the word for me was, Andy, tomorrow when you wake up, go to him, apologize for what you said to him, and then tell him what you would do differently if you were to do it over. And it was, it was like the father's voice knew exactly what I needed to hear. Now, I'll say this. Sometimes people go crazy with God's voice. God told me to do, and, you know, I'll, I'll just give you a word of encouragement. God's not going to tell you to do something that's in contradiction to the Bible. He's not going to tell you to go egg your neighbor's house because they have annoying dogs. Like, he's, that's just not how God works. But, but he will take truths of Scripture and he'll speak into your life. He'll give you direction. He'll give you wisdom. He'll give you guidance. He'll give you what you need. But there's something about that posture before the Father that says, Father, I need your voice to be spoken into my life. And Jesus so beautifully modeled this. Now, as the Father speaks, 
The other thing that Jesus does and receives from the Father is help. So when the Father speaks, there's help. And this is the third habit, that it's to receive the Father's help into our lives again and again and again and again. It's to receive wisdom. It's to receive courage. I love in the Gospels how Jesus was so connected to the Father. Like everything that Jesus did was so dialed into the Father's will. John chapter 15 in verse, chapter 5 verse 19 says, Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. Now God in human flesh relied on God the Father. That, that, it's just mystifying to me to consider the reality that the Son was in reliance, everything he did was in conjunction with the Father's will and agenda and what the Father wanted to accomplish. He did nothing in and of himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him everything he's doing. In fact, the Father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. And then you will truly be astonished. And I, I hope today that you can see there, there's help from your heavenly Father that he wants to give into your life. We get so confused about relationship with God. I think most of us inherently, because the brokenness of our world, we bring a slavery mindset to God. And that slavery mindset is so displayed that we, we take on an identity, perhaps we do things to wreck our lives like the younger son, and then we just think our whole lives, like, we'll, we'll, we'll do enough good. Like, I, you know, I, I was so bad in this relationship, I was so bad with this habit, but I'll, I'll, I'll serve on a weekend, or I'll, I'll give back to God financially, and we, we still bring into our relationship with God th this mindset that somehow I can earn my way back to him with a spirit of slavery. And some of us, our whole lives, we've been in the church, and we think, well, because we've done all these good things, God owes us something, and we're still living as slaves in the house of God. And oftentimes, this is so influenced by the brokenness of our world and our relationship with our earthly fathers, because even a good dad is not a perfect dad. And we carry these wounds into our understanding of who God is. So if your father was absent, you might think that the heavenly father is absent. And if your earthly father got annoyed with you, you might think your heavenly father gets annoyed with you. And if your earthly father was filled with anger, you might think your heavenly father is filled with anger. But I want you to hear and see from the life of Jesus, your heavenly father is perfect in all of his ways towards you. And he puts his spirit, when you trust in Jesus, he puts his spirit inside of you helping you to see that you are a child of the most high God. Paul says it like this, he says, those of us who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba. That word Abba means dad. By him we cry, Abba, Father. And what happens is the Spirit himself is testifying with our spirit that we are God's children. So God is building this collective family that the Holy Spirit gets deposited into our lives the moment that we believe and there's this, this heart inside of us that, that says, that's my heavenly father. Abba, I need your help. Abba, I need your strength. Abba, I need your courage. Abba, I need your wisdom. I cannot do this life on my own. 
And there's something so powerful and beautiful. The father loves to help his kids. He loves to come alongside of you in your weakness and make you strong. And there, there, there's something, even for me in my journey, there have been so many moments where I, I'm in prayer before God and I'm like, God, I, I don't have anything to give you. I, I don't have anything to offer you. I realize I am the benefactor in this relationship. And I'll serve you and I'll love you, but you, you have been so gracious to me, so kind to me. And when I see his willingness to help and the spirit inside of me welling up to say, Abba, Abba, I need you. Like a little boy, like a little kid that cries out, Dad, I need your help. Dad, help me put this toy together. Dad, help me, help me put my shoes on. Dad, I, I need you, Abba, Father. And I want to encourage you, whatever you need, God has it. There, there's this journey of learning sonship or becoming more and more in that identity of, the, of a child of God. And Tim Keller says to take a person out of slavery takes an instance. But to take slavery out of a person, it's a process. And life in following Jesus is learning to live as a free son or daughter of the Most High God. He's available to help you today. Not only, not only is he available to help, he, he knows what you need, and he sees your future. And one of the mindset shifts for us in relationship with God the Father has to be where we come to this place of trusting that the Father knows best. And there's this image towards the end of Jesus' life here on planet Earth. And in a moment where Jesus is celebrating Passover with his disciples and they're having their big meal together and looking at this huge holiday, Jesus it brings fulfillment to this Passover holiday where every year the Israelites would sacrifice a lamb as a reminder of the covering that God gave to them when they came out of slavery in Egypt. And Jesus would say to them, I am the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I am the one that all of scripture has been pointing towards. And in this moment when Jesus is there with his disciples, they go into this garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And this garden is a place that Jesus would often go with his disciples. And in that moment, you see Jesus, he gets down on his face, and I'm gonna read it in just a moment, but he gets down on his face before his father and he's crying out in agony, knowing that the cross is in front of him. Knowing the weight of the world's sin will be placed upon his shoulders. That he's going to pay the ultimate price for our brokenness so that we can come back to the Father. And what Jesus is doing is he is surrendering to the Father's will. He has a will. And he's taking that will and he's putting it in submission, surrendering. This is the last of the habits. It's to surrender to the Father's will. It's to say, Father, you know what's best for my life. And there are moments where the pain and the suffering and the hardship, there are moments when the evil and the brokenness of this world, there are moments where what I want is different than what the Father wants, but that habit to say, you always know what's best. You always have the best in mind. And Jesus so beautifully or displays for us this reality. In Mark 14, they go to Gethsemane and he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. 
And he took them with Peter, and he took with him Peter, James, and John, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And there's kind of a humor and a sadness in this story because on one part, it's funny, Jesus goes and prays and comes back and his disciples are knocked out, you know, narcoleptic, can't stay up. And Jesus is, is there agonizing over the sins of the world and the brokenness and what he's about to endure. And I want you to notice in that moment, even when he, he can't rely on his friends, he still have a, has a heavenly father that he can call on. And he says to him, Abba, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And notice in, in deep agony with death in front of him, the scripture says he was obedient even to death on a cross. And he looks at his father and he says, not what I will, but you will. And this grand plan of the father that has existed from eternity that would be this plan to restore the hearts of humanity. The Father and Son have been conspiring to get the hearts of humanity back and the cross is in front of him and in agony as he's weeping and he's bleeding. Luke said like drops of blood, I will go to a cross for the sins of the world and I will make a way so that the world can know you not based on religion or some law, but sons and daughters freed to serve and to love and to give their lives to the Most High God. Jesus opened the door to the Father, not simply by the things that he taught and not simply by the way he lived, but Jesus opened a way to the Father by how he died. And for all of you Saddleback people, who've been in deep anxiety for that one blank on your notes and you thought I forgot it. I left you in suspense. It's there. He opened the door to the Father by his death on a cross. And so when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me. It, this certainly is a statement of exclusivity certainly is. There's no other way. No world religion, no trying, no slavery under the law, no, no, no way to the Father but through me. And it's also a statement of opportunity because all of Scripture, there's, there's been this sacrificial system, there's been this law that was this weight that nobody could fulfill. There's this gap between the perfection of the Father and the perfection of the Son and all of us in our brokenness. And he came to bridge that gap with how he lived and how he died. And one of the great mistakes that we would make is that we would listen to a message like this and we would walk out with confidence that we're a son or a daughter of God just saying, oh, we're all sons and daughters of God. But the truth is, we're not, we're not unless we've put our trust in him. In John chapter one, verse 12, John says he came to his own people, speaking of Jesus, and they rejected him. The Israelites that he came 
to fulfill their law as the Messiah. They beat him, they spat on him, they mocked him, they plugged his beard, they whipped him across the back, they rejected God in human flesh. But he made a way, and in his suffering, he was going to a cross so that all nations, every tongue and tribe could know God. And the scripture says that now, as a result of this, to all who believe in him, to all who would accept and receive him, he gives right to become children of God, reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or a plan, but a birth that comes from God. So there's a moment where a person puts their trust in Jesus and they are transformed internally. They go from death to life. So the problem is not that we're, we're, we're bad people. The problem is that before Christ, before Jesus, we're dead spiritually. So what the Spirit of God does is he comes and he opens our eyes to these supernatural realities of a heavenly Father that is beyond comprehension. The Spirit of God is revealing to us Jesus, the Son of God, crucified, resurrected, ruling and reigning today. And what he does is he opens your eyes. So the scripture is teaching us that the knowledge of God is not simply this cognitive belief, but there's something that happens when in our hearts, 18 inches down, this belief goes into our hearts where there's something inside that says, oh yeah, I believe that deep inside of my soul that it really did happen. He really did die on a cross. He really did conquer the grave. He really is alive, ruling and reigning today. So when you're walking down a street and your hands are lifted high and somebody thinks you're crazy, you're like, I know because I've encountered the living God. He's inside of me and his spirit is prompting my spirit to say, Abba, Father, worthy is your name. You've sought me out. Your goodness has been chasing me my entire life. And the Father is saying, come, all of you, all who are thirsty, come. All who are broken, come. All who have fear and anxiety, come. And if you believe, if you receive, you are given the right to become children of the Most High God. Now, I, I want to I say one, one more thing. Some, sometimes our... Our earthly relationships with our fathers leaves us in this place that's still like, oh, I like Jesus, Holy Spirit, dove, I'm, that's cool. But when it comes to the Father, I, 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 I just have so much in my mind. And what I would say to you, I want you to write this down. Every unmet need, every unfulfilled expectation of your earthly dad, it finds its full redemption in your heavenly Father. And this is so important. It finds full redemption. Father is perfect in all of his ways. Perfect in his love for you. And I want to invite you. You got all your blanks filled in. So go ahead and just put your notes down. And I want to invite you to receive now. To close your eyes, bow your heads. And I want to lead you in a moment of response. If you're comfortable, just put your hands in front of you in a posture of surrender and yieldedness to the Father today. Let's just make a little space right now in this moment. Quietness of this moment. You don't need a priest. You don't need a preacher. You don't need a religious leader. Between you and your heavenly father, you can, you can converse right now. He knows your fear. He knows every worry. He knows that decision that you have to make. He knows that pain that you're carrying. 
And today you can come and unburden your soul at his feet. I want to invite you right now just to do that. Some of you, maybe you would say to him, I want, I want to spend more time with you. Help me, help me spend more time with you. Others of you, perhaps you need to hear his voice and you just say, I need to hear your voice. Others of you, maybe there's an area where you need help, wisdom for decision. Maybe it's you, you're, you feel like giving up. I need strength, courage. Just tell him, I need you. And then finally, some of you, it's a surrender of your will to his. Maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you've been doing it your way. Been doing marriage, money, doing relationships your way. Just to say, Father, your will be done in my life. And there are those who are listening to my voice that this is the moment of your salvation. That you become a child of God. By faith in Jesus, the Son of God, who was crucified and conquered the grave. Can receive by faith salvation in this moment you can accept him into your heart and I want to invite you right now if that's you just to tell him I believe that you died on a cross for my sins I believe that you conquered the grave I surrender my life to you I trust in you for forgiveness of my sins and if you're praying that prayer in just a moment our campus pastors will tell you how to respond to that that decision is the most important decision that you'll ever make. In just a moment, just with your eyes still closed and head bowed, in just a moment, we're going to go into a response with a song. But I just want to pray one more prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you that you're here. Oh, Holy Spirit, we're so mindful of all that you make us aware of. All the riches of the Father's love. Oh, Jesus. We're so grateful that you paid the ultimate price for our sin. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the great triune God who has existed for all eternity. No mind can comprehend the fullness of your glory. But in this moment, by faith, we receive these eternal truths and believe that your love is more than enough for every need, for every longing, for every wound from a father on earth, for every pain. God, thank you that you're here, that you really do love us more than we can fathom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this weekend message from Saddleback Church. If you like this, please consider leaving a rating or review for this podcast. The Saddleback Church Weekend Message Podcast is a part of the Saddleback family of podcasts. Visit saddleback.com slash podcasts or search for Saddleback Church in your favorite podcasting app to see more great podcasts from Saddleback. For more Weekend Message resources, visit saddleback.com slash message resources.